Presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast here on a rainy, drizzly night on WBSM. Uh, a little bit late getting to the microphone here because we're still a little bit spooked out from uh, our trip here. Ironically, uh, you know, sometimes we, we don't have the best ideas, but we decide, yeah, we got a little bit of extra time. Why don't we stop at the Ellis Bowl Cemetery on Wolf Island Road as everybody around here, all these amateur ghost hunters and professional ghost hunters have all gone out and experienced what's out there. And so we said, hey, we'll stop by. And, uh, of course, you know, we can't just have a nice, quiet night. Something has to happen while we're out there. So we uh, took some photographs and had some strange things happen in the photographs, but we'll get into that in a second. We captured what we believe might be an EVP. We'll say tentatively. It's uh, interesting. It needs a little bit more analysis, a little bit of cleaning up. So hopefully we can get that figured out. We can post it on SpookySouthCoast.com, and uh, you can check it out. Speaking of SpookySouthCoast.com, remember... We're there all week long. You can download the show, listen to the show that way, and you can also uh, go onto our message board and speak with us uh, actually live right now if you want to. So, But we have a very busy night for you tonight. If you've ever thought about getting out into the field and, and experiencing the paranormal for yourself, or if you've ever had a haunted home or a, a home you suspect there's something going on and you'd like to have it investigated, we're going to talk to plenty of people that can help you out tonight. We're going to have on the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, better known as CAPERS, and later on we'll be joined by the New England Paranormal Association, also known as NEPA. So uh, we'll we'll get into all of that. So now Matt Costa is here. He's yes. behind the boys, and, and we have Matt Moniz, our science advisor, along. And we should have probably brought Matt Moniz with us if we were going to go to the cemetery because, I don't know, he's, he, he has experience in this, and... You know, one more person to tell us, hey, no, you guys are crazy. Don't worry about that. Well, it was kind of a spare of the moment kind of thing. It was. So, but uh, now you have the same similar type of reaction that I had when we walked into the cemetery. At first, total blackness, you know, uh, as the case. Well, why don't we bring in Derek and Joanne right now so they can join the conversation. We have Derek Bartlett, the president of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, and Joanne McCann, one of his investigators. How are you guys tonight? Very good. And <laughs> Joanne's playing shy tonight. Hi. And uh, so, you know, this is old hat to you guys. You've been doing this since, what, 2000? Correct. So this is old hat for you guys. The first time that you stepped into the darkness and didn't know what to expect, what, what kind of feeling did you get? That's the thing, what to expect. Um, believe it or not, I get a lot of what's so-called old photographs because it was dusty and windy night and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got a lot of background noises, but I got the chills my first time actually out in the cemetery and fear is a natural human instinct. So, yeah, to be afraid, that's what I felt my first time by myself at that time in a cemetery. I mean, Matt Costa and I have screwed around and, you know, doing some minor league stuff. Uh, we went to the Millicent Library for a newspaper story. But, I mean, we've never really investigated anything with the intent of going out there and hoping to find something and stepping into the darkness for the first time. And it... 
it was disorienting. It was a little bit, you know, it, it was a very off-putting. But at the same time, the I think the fear heightens your adrenaline and it heightens your sensitivity, makes you more likely to, you know, what was that? What was that? Right, right. More alert. And so when we went in there, you know, at first it was, uh, I was walking ahead and I kind of said, slow down and make sure Matt stays close. And uh, he has a very noisy camera, so at least I knew where he was in the dark until mm-hmm. my eyes adjusted it. But we both felt the same feeling as we started walking toward the back left corner of the cemetery. We both felt this something, this, I don't know, what did you feel, Matt? It was kind of like an anxiety. It, Me, at least. I don't know. It, it, it wasn't a heaviness. Like when, when we went out there, I said to him, before we even stepped out of the truck, I don't feel... Like, there'll be anything negative. I think if there'll be spirits, but it might not necessarily be any kind of negative force. We were actually joking about it on the way up. We were. How it was just like a, a big crock. Yeah, well, yeah, we said, you know, all the stuff that... Well, if you go on websites like theshadowlands.net and they have the list of all these uh, hauntings, and they say you can see people hanging from the trees and strange old Mustangs uh, that drive by that aren't really there. Actually, well, we might have seen that. I might have known what those lights were. But anyway, we'll get to it. So, the, you know, there's all this uh, phenomena that supposedly happens there, and people go out there and they experience things, but they never experience this phenomena that's been reported. Now, was there anything written about this back corner prior to you guys going there? I had never heard anything about the back corner, but when I mentioned it, I saw Matt Moniz have some sort of reaction. Matt Moniz, what, what, what would that be? Well, that particular area in the cemetery was one of the first places I ever did some ghost hunting in back in 1987 with uh, two other individuals, and we had a little incident that occurred where one of the guys that we were with was... Uh, for all intents and purposes, slapped and slapped pretty hard. He felt it, and the other two of us heard it. And he was standing right next to us when it happened. We were all freaking out, making noise, of course. You know, back then I was a teenager, you know, starting to really get into this. You know, we were all excited, and, of course, ten minutes later, the cops show up, and there's a police report to prove what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, thankfully, the police drove by us as we were approaching there. And Now, I did a little bit of research. I mean, I should have checked in, and like we said, it was a spur-of-a-moment thing. So, But I did go onto a website and find out that the cemeteries in Mattapoisett are not uh, town property. Right. So that means that they're privately owned. And there is a gentleman who is in charge of the cemetery. So had there been any problem with us being there, we could have gotten in trouble. So please, if you're going to go out there... Please get permission first. If you go to the Town of Mattapoisett website and look up the cemeteries, they'll give you the contact information for the gentleman. You can give him a call and set everything up and make sure it's okay. And maybe you have been out there. Maybe you have experienced something and you'd like to share it with us. You know, we kind of laughed it off our first couple weeks because everybody talked about that cemetery. But now having been out there, we really would like to hear it. So 508-996-0500. 508 Those are the numbers to call all night long if there's anything that you want to discuss uh, of a paranormal nature. But while we were out there, we, we both had this feeling about the back corner, like we just didn't want to go in there. And once we did go into that back corner, that's when some strange things started happening. Uh, I made the probably the number one investigator mistake of trying to look at the evidence Excuse me, right after I gathered it. As soon as we took photographs, I was looking in the review window to try to see what it was. But, I I mean, I know that that's wrong. I was using it as a guide almost because I couldn't see anything. And if I didn't look into that window, I wouldn't know that there was a stone right in front of me. So uh, I was trying to use that. And as I did that, I was getting these white little 
balls in the corner, not ball, but like a little streak in the corner. And so what I was doing is I was trying to follow that and move. And every time I moved the camera in a different direction, that spot was in the same position. And so I showed it to Derek Bartlett, and, and he pretty much knew right away what had happened. Uh, so, Derek, what, what was your instinct when you saw that? Well, after you just, well, after you said that and, um, and Joanne had mentioned that, oh, it's your finger, I could easily tell you where that um, what it looked like on the camera. I told mm-hmm. you it's probably top corner. Without it's even a, looking at it, you knew. An orange or white white glow to it, and it's it's more likely a, a fraction of off the flash on over the, the, the lens of the camera. Um, and it's a very common thing that to happen to even to professional investigators as well. Mm-hmm. We do get our fingers in, in the way, especially in the excitement. Well, especially if you have sausage fingers like me. I mean, it's bound to happen. <laughs> but, I mean, I made sure I knew about the camera strap. I made sure to tuck that behind. Uh, but I thought that once I saw that and I thought there was a possibility it was my finger, I slid it over. And I still saw it in a couple of shots. And it doesn't shoot very fast. But it was probably most likely some sort of res- residual image from the flash or something. Well, since you said that to me, and I know, Tim, we've discussed many times, I know your character and your personality, you're mm-hmm. not one to make things up. So that that taking that in a, a case, and you did say you moved your fingers back, maybe it wasn't your finger. That's well, that's what I told you. I mean, we're not, um, Matt Costa and I, we're not looking to find anything when we go out there. We're just trying to associate ourselves with what these areas are that people talk about on, on the show when they call in or when they're guests. So we want to get a chance to see some of these spots for ourselves, especially some of these more popular and easily accessible spots. So we want to go out there and just try it out. If you're going to go out there, you might as well bring a tape recorder or two and a camera or two. So that's what we did. Now, we tried to get digital audio. I brought my digital recorder that I use you know, in my, my sports career. And I started it. I knew it was recording. I checked it by the light of the camera and made sure it was recording. It was rolling. The counter was moving. And I had the light on. I had the volume up all the way to capture any kind of sound. When I got back into the truck to play it to make sure that it had recorded something, I had no file. There was no file at all. Not only had it stopped, but the part that I knew was recording when I checked was gone. Well, hey, it's digital. You know, things happen, especially with how sensitive those can be to the touch. So we had an analog recorder with us as well, which Matt Cost was operating. And... As I was telling Derek before we came on, I started. I made the mistake of using an old tape, which you know, never a good idea, especially if there's something already on the other side. It just—it's one thing that people can use against any evidence you might gather. And what happened is uh, we had a problem where instead of recording in the spot where I stopped it in the clear space, it kind of embedded itself in the middle of all the previous, you know, Boston Celtics interviews I had done. And it sounded like there was wind blowing over it the entire time when there was no wind out there. But at one point, we could make out uh, Matt's camera going off, and I say, that was weird. I don't even remember what I was... I think I might have been referencing when we took a picture of a cemetery. And, of course, we'll put these these pictures up on SpookySouthCoast.com tomorrow. But when I took this picture i it looked like a spider reflection almost on the cemetery on this gravestone but it was really just like some sort of calcification or or pitting of that stone and so matt flashes flashlight and showed it to me and i was like wow that was weird and then on the tape about two seconds after that there was what we all seemed to agree was a female voice we heard different things i at first thought it was weird like they were repeating what i said or we're here because i had been walking around saying if you're here let us know if you're here let us know you know we you know used our position as radio hosts to try to tell whoever's out there if you're here you can come on with us just let us know now 
So and and so we got that. So we're going to clean that up. We're going to put it up on the website, SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, we'll uh, everybody out there that's an EVP expert, an EVP gatherer, we invite you to take this file to to listen to it. Like we said, we're not. You know, we're not in the ghost hunting business per se ourselves. So whatever we find is out there for everybody to dissect and to investigate for themselves and to find out. You know, we're just here as a resource for everybody else. So you can let us know what you find. So 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 if you want to call in. Matt, would you like us to take a quick break? Uh, if you want to. Yeah, let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk with our science advisor, Matt Moniz, about another strange personal experience. We'll tell you about what happened to him earlier this week. And then, of course, we'll get into it with the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. You know, we just we just had them in here this week because we knew stuff was going to happen to us. So we figured we might as well have some experts on hand to vouch for it. So we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. I was enjoying that song. It was uh, very good. Matt, Matt Costa is so on point when it comes to coming up with these bumpers each week and, and putting all the stuff together. I mean, we call him the silent assassin. He just sits over there, you know, he jumps in every once in a while, but uh, he's the man. If it wasn't for him, none of this would happen because, really, I mean, how long have Matt Moniz and I been here and we haven't touched that stuff, so... Which is probably, well, I mean, won't let you. Yeah, well, <laughs> Matt Moniz has plenty of experience, and it's me that they want to keep away from it. So, speaking of experience, Matt Moniz, you gave me a call uh, Thursday night. I was, a, I was a little bit busy. I felt bad. I just sat down to dinner with my family because otherwise I would have grabbed my camera and I would have run out there as soon as I heard what you said. Why don't you tell everybody what happened? Well, uh, I was sitting at home. I heard this helicopter flying by my house at very low altitude stepped out on my deck watched the helicopter go by and thought oh interesting and i noticed out in the river where i live the uh, fish were jumping so i figured okay let me grab my pole go down to the dock and toss out a few lines see if i can drag in a striper i get out onto the dock toss one line out reel it back in i decided now let's try and switch you know lures and whatever I, as i turned around i noticed in the marsh reeds what appeared to be a 20 foot diameter crop circle right in <laughs> right in the marsh reeds right in front of my house now i just cleaned up the yard the week before raked up the whole area the beach area and everything and this thing was not there the week before uh the other person that lives on the property with me uh him and i both can verify that it definitely wasn't there at least a week before and uh the sun was going down and i got my roommate to come out to take a look at this and as we're taking a look at it here comes the black hawk helicopter circling us again as we're looking at this thing taking pictures of it i'm taking pictures of the helicopter and my roommate swears there's another person in the helicopter taking pictures back at us and I'm like, okay, this, yeah. is, this is a little little interesting. I mean, I even have the pictures in my camera phone of this. Mm-hmm. 
And if any, not to interrupt, but if anybody would like to see pictures of what we're talking about, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, if you click on the message board and then click on Share Your Evidence, which, of course, we invite everybody to share their evidence there, you can see pictures of what we're talking about. Yeah, and uh, when I when I looked at it, uh, the sun was just starting to go down. So I really, you really can't see anything at night. So I called... Um, Tim and he got a hold of Matt. Matt came down with his camera and we took some, tried to take some pictures with the uh, film camera, but the film camera kept freaking out and the batteries <laughs> went dead in the digital camera and a couple other interesting little odds and ends. But I, the following day I went and really investigated it and what it actually turns up being is uh, there was a storm a while ago that had uprooted a whole bunch of those plants, but they were down in front. Well, we had a moon tide that had come through, and the material had seeped in, and the way that the, and Matt can verify that this is, goes onto a pitch, a slope pitch, and as the water drained down, the mats did, went down in a whirlpool fashion in a circle inside the center of the um Inside, inside the uh, reeds. Now, let's point out, though, now, this isn't as if, you know, you or I, uh, Matt Coss and I, or the, the common person listening to the show, walked out in the yard and found something like this. Matt Moniz has a lot of years of experience investigating crop circles. Uh, he's yeah. been published in, in, in people's books discussing the, the subject of crop circles. So it's not like, you know, he was jumping to a conclusion of something. When he called me and he said, I have a crop circle in my yard, I knew there was something definitely going on, uh, and and so I, like I said, like Matt said, we called Matt Costa to go down there and check it out. What did you think, Matt, when you first saw it? I don't know what to think. But I, at first, I thought it was uh, something to do with like a tidal, or maybe like an animal made a nest in there, but mm-hmm. it's way too big for a nest. But the, I don't uh, know what to make of it actually. The first question I asked you the next day, I saw you early the next morning, and the first question I said to you was, "Was it in a perfect circle? Was it in some sort of..." geometric form and and you said that it seemed like it was a little bit roughshod in terms of its of its shape is that it was in the basic shape of a circle but it was not a perfect circle so i mean either way matt you weren't uh, matt Moniz, you weren't afraid uh, you know you you were welcoming whatever it was that was causing it well like you said i went to england to study these things mm-hmm. and i've studied a couple that have formed here in the u.s so i'm familiar with the true and genuine phenomenon I was also at uh, the 1992 uh, crop circle hoaxing competition that they had back in England. Now, what was interesting about that is the winning uh, group was six guys that have never formed one before competing against all of these, you know, quote-unquote skeptics and the supposed people that profess to be the professional ones that do these, they were beat up by a bunch of rank amateurs that took them six hours to do a formation that takes, you know, up about maybe a 50-foot to diameter by about 75 feet long. It took them six guys six hours. So we're, we're talking a Pink Floyd album cover here yeah. in terms of intricacy. Uh, yeah, in the, in the genuine formations. Now, what was interesting about that particular hoaxing competition is, like I said, every group that claims responsibilities for these things, you know, is proud to be there. That night, the most amount of formations and most intricate that have ever happened happened all around the area. Now, all of these groups that claim to do these things 
were verified as being in one place. So who formed the other? Drunk at the bar. That's where they were. Well, I mean, it was all verified that they were all right. You know, (laughs) everybody knew where they were. And then you have something like uh, thirty or forty of them, all like hundreds of feet long, happen around the area afterwards. And like I said, I was there for this. and Something got mad because you guys were mocking it. Basically. Yeah, now, that's exactly what happened. Now, Matt, was that the test where they actually did the, they used the microwaves and, and hit, hit put the particles on the ground? Because there is a, one that they had a contest faking out. Uh, MIT students actually had d- done that where they made actually opened a microwave and shot the particles on the ground to make these, what are they called, ionized particles. Correct. And with a metallic, is that the test in '92? No, no. The, this was a hoaxing competition, just for right. aesthetics. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for uh, some of the other tests. Now I did uh, a lot of the research, replicated a lot of the stuff by Dr. Levengood and a number of other people. Um, I've worked, I worked with Lefty back in 1992, all the way up to like '95, '97. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that happens with these plants uh, happens, yeah, through some form of microwave, but there's more to it than that. Uh, seed germination studies, when you do them, there are some very interesting results. Now, Lefty and I were the first ones to start doing some of these tests, and we came across some very interesting findings. Like with a fresh formation, if you take the seeds out of a fresh, genuine formation, the seeds will germinate very quickly and in an accelerated growth rate. And that if you take these same samples and test them weeks later, they are far retarded if they germinate at all. Well, uh, definitely very, very interesting. Even if, uh, even if you could find an explanation as to what happened, the fact that you know, there was the possibility, and, and, and believe me, in this area there it is caught a possibility. My interest. <laughs> and, and so, and like we said, you can see photos of them on SpookySouthCoast.com. Click on the message board and click share your evidence. And you can also see some evidence, some photos I took, not really evidence, of when I went to the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, I stopped at Profile Rock on Easter Sunday with my brother-in-law, and we, we you know, just took some nice photographs. But we didn't get nearly as into it as Capers did uh, the day before, actually. So we will get into that with them. I mean, we've talked about talked about ourselves enough here. So we're going to talk with Derek and Joanne from, from Capers. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we want to talk to them. And we also want to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll be right back on Spooky South Coast. Midnight because it's spooky South Coast. It's Saturday night. We're here on WBSM. We invite you to join in with us. 508 996 0500. 508 291 SpookySouthCoast.com. We have a live chat room there. You can join in the discussion that way uh, if you prefer. One thing is, we uh, I've been getting emails all week long from people that don't live in this area. People in California, people in Ohio, people in other countries. Uh, hello to Finland. We, I don't think we've had a chance to say hello to them yet. And, of course, hello to our friend down in Australia. He is a very loyal listener. 
and these people say, you know, we want to be able to hear the show. But remember, you don't have to hear the show live to be able to call in each week. The numbers are on the website. If you check us out and you know, figure out what 10 to midnight Eastern Standard Time is, and we invite you to call in. You know, if, if, if you're calling from another area and we're not quite talking about what it is that you want to talk about, that's okay. We understand because I think, you know, this stuff is not just localized to here. This stuff is global. And uh, so we want everybody to have a chance to share their experiences with us. And speaking of experiences, we have with us Derek Bartlett, the president of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, and we have Joanne McCann, one of his investigators, and we would like to talk to them. Are you officially, are you a lead investigator? Or? Am I a lead investigator? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay, why don't you explain the difference, Joanne, between an investigator and a lead investigator? Well, I've only recently been made a lead investigator, but un- until now, I was just a field investigator, which meant that I pretty much did what I was told. Mm-hmm and um, took care of the simple tasks. And now being a lead investigator is probably more because I have over a year's experience. And um, we sh- anybody that on, on our team that's a lead investigator has to show commitment, has to come to the business meetings, has to be trained on all the equipment, and has to be able to handle things independently without having someone watch over them all the time. So it's not like the setup that, that Matt and I have of, uh, of you know, if you look at the credits for the show, I'm the executive producer, Matt's the producer. And all that means is I get to boss him around. I mean, literally. <laughs> I make him carry my computer in. I make him get me coffee. It works out well. No complaints? No. Okay. So, now, we we mentioned it before the commercial break. You guys went out last Saturday on, like, a little field trip to the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, this wasn't an official investigation, right? No, that's correct. It was kind of just to go out there and get the... I mean, you've been out there many times. Well, we have new members on the team mm-hmm. um, over the last year, and we do an annual trip out there. And one thing was is that to get the team familiar, familiar, yeah, familiar <laughs> with the term Bridgewater Triangle and what it consists of, um, and that the areas are you've you've had Aaron Cadu in here who did the report, and that was the, one of my first times out to Bridgewater Triangle. I ran into uh, a uh, a park ranger at the Dighton Rock that said, hey, guess what? There's somebody else that was interested in this Bridgewater Triangle thing, and that's how Aaron and I met and were able to do his DVD on the Bridgewater Triangle for his college project. Yeah, I've been out there many times. We actually camped out there in that Hockamock Swamp area. That's uh, that's something, uh, having been out there, I think it would take a lot for me to pitch a tent and stay out there for the night. Um, not just in terms, well, not just in terms of the strangeness of it, but I mean, you are, you're not out in the middle of nowhere like you think you would be, but as soon as you step into it, you're out in the middle of nowhere. Correct. It's, it's, you just get that feeling. I mean, I have never really been, I've been all around Bridgewater my entire life. I've been all around that whole area of the Triangle. Um, but when I went to, uh, to Profile Rock and I realized, you know, this isn't just a, a construct, a concept that we've been talking about here. This is, when you walk in there, you feel it. You feel the history. When you climb to the top of that rock and you look out and you realize, you know, what this was and what it meant to these Native Americans that used it years ago, I mean, you can feel something, some sort of energy. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, I have been going to Profile Rock since I was probably around nine years old. My aunt and uncle live right next to the Freetown State Forest, so that we used to actually go down there for the weekends and such. And Profile Rock from yesteryears is nothing like it's today, and today is, it's pretty disturbing to see the graffiti and everything. Yes. But you still do get that feeling, as I did as a little kid, of the awe. Every time I walk up to it, every annual visit or you know, twice a year even sometimes, I still get that awe of walking up to On Profile Rock, which is one of the sites on pro- in the Bridgewater Triangle. 
and and when we went up there, uh, and you guys were there the day before me, and and I talked to uh, our dedicated message board friend, uh, an Eagles angel, who was with you out on that uh, trip out there, and, and I talked to her about it, and she said what I had found out there just a day later hadn't been there the day you guys had been there. Well, let's just call it the paranormal poop. We'll call it the paranormal poop. We'll say that there's pictures of it on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll just move on from there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any paranormal poop. <laughs> yeah, and Luann actually um, did join us out there with a, uh, a member of her team. So it was it was really good to meet up with people like that. And anybody interested, there was supposed to be another gentleman from a Sonin area that's interested in Bridgewater Triangle that was supposed to meet up as well, but it, due to commitments, he couldn't. Mm-hmm. And we ask anybody, whoever wants to visit the Bridgewater Triangle and get the feel for the Bridgewater Triangle as a paranormal investigator, you know, feel free to call us, call into a radio show. The problem that we have with it, though, is a lot of times people want to go out there and experience it, and you know they'll they'll hear us talking about it right now, and they'll jump in the car and go over there. Right. And you really can't do that. A because of you know there are legal parameters involved. Yes. And B, uh, as soon as you step in there, you're going to get some sort of disorienting feeling if you don't know where you're going. Correct. Um, and Profile Rock is a state park. Dighton Rock is a state park park and there's a place on route 44 in time called anawan rock where mm-hmm. chief anawan had surrendered to the to the colonists and that's allegedly haunted as well and that's inside the bridgewater triangle which are all state parks now one area we're talking about is the hockamock swamp area that is not a state park that is not open to the public it's actually uh, state property um the power lines run through there and everything mm-hmm. like that and we do it's hard, you know, we walk the public during the day. We never go out there at night except when we camped a couple of years ago. And even then, we asked for permission back then in the days. Um, this weekend, we didn't. We just walked down an open area. We were there during the day, regular daytime. Uh, there were dirt bikers and four-wheelers and stuff. Yeah. So it, it's a trail down there. And, um, you know, and we have the biggest rule is what you bring in, you bring out, which basically trash everything, you know, save save. Bridgewater Triangle, Dighton Rock, all these places from destruction. And and you also hope that whatever is in there, when you go in there, you don't bring back with you. Yeah, we um, over the years of working with the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, we profile rock, uh, we have never come across anything. Uh, Anawan Rock, if anybody knows the story, is that there is a uh, ghost fire supposed to be seen out there, mm-hmm. and uh, a word, Iatash, in Algonquin, means stand and fight. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be heard occasionally. I've been out there five, six times now and still haven't heard anything. In the Hockamock Swamp, when we camped out there, um, there were stories of ghost lights and UFOs and a lot of you know paranormal activity and huge animals as Bigfoot and, and areas like that. One thing was that we had found was um, we saw red lights when we were there, but it ended up being a street through the forest. We could get glimpses of these red lights once in a while, which were taillights during, at night. Mm-hmm. Um, the flight patterns for all these... Uh, airports around the area from Rhode Island to every there's a lot of things flying over and, the, and that's over the Hockamock swamp and it's a lot of supposed to be a lot of UFOs being spotted but you know we saw a lot of airplanes that night um, no big huge creatures you know I ran into a, some smaller ones you know as a wolf and a deer chasing each other <laughs> down the down the track when I was at one o'clock in the morning by myself at campsite while everybody was a mile away down into the swamp you know I was the one left behind and I heard 
the hoof prints and the dog running and chasing this deer. So that's that, about it. That's pretty. Uh, a wolf would uh, be pretty scary enough or for coyote, me. Coyote or some, well, some yeah, dog animal. We have, we have some in my neighborhood right now, and Matt drops me off. I make him stay there until I get in the house <laughs> safe and sound before I get torn up by a coyote. Well, if you have any questions about what goes on out in the Bridgewater Triangle, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. But that isn't the only uh, recent trip that you guys recently made. You also went down to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, the end of the last weekend, last month, um, Joey and I actually had uh, gone to Gettysburg, invited by um, American Ghost Society, Troy Taylor, and he was putting on a outing um, there. And uh, what what had happened is um, we joined Troy, and we stayed down in Gettysburg. And we've been there out there a couple of times. We've actually been there three times within a year's period now. And it becomes old hat. Mm-hmm. You know, you go down there, you know where the spots are, but you always find something a little bit different. Um and we did. We actually found a couple of where they're doing a lot of clear-cutting down, down there now. If anybody's been at Gettysburg and over past the past year, we'll know changes because they're clear-cutting everything to make it like the battlefields. So they're going through forests that have grown up since the 140 years or so, you know, and um, clear-cutting it. Now they're finding foundations. And we actually went to a foundation that they found where uh, the only African-American was found hung inside wow. inside this house either a by suicide or by people by lynching yeah um that haunt the area now by doing that though i think you're going to find a, probably an increase in spirit activity because you are changing what has naturally come up around there yeah just like remodeling a home you know when you do an investigation you usually find that they're remodeling homes when the activity restart yeah same thing well, I think we have a phone call for you guys uh, on this nice brand new telephone that they, they gave to us here. Sure. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Uh, can we have your name? Where are you calling from? How you doing? It's an Eagles angel. How you doing? <laughs> you spoke of the devil. I had to call in. Well, <laughs> we speak of the devil often on this show, but I don't think that that's you. So uh, oh, yeah. did you enjoy your trip out to the Bridgewater Triangle with Kate? Oh, it was excellent. I wish I could have stayed for the whole thing. They get to go to the Hockamock Swamp, and I had to go home. Well, it was great. We saw a uh, profile rock. Luckily, we didn't see that paranormal poop, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's becoming a, a myth. <laughs> if we didn't capture that one photo, nobody would have known it was true. I mean, <laughs> not to dwell on it, but we saw it, and we were wondering why it was up where it was. It was at a very high point. <sighs> and uh, the conclusion we came to is that it probably wasn't a dog because there was no scratchings around it, and there was it's not a good place for a dog to do its business. <laughs> and so the only other... Uh, uh, thing we could have figured out is that it had to have been human. I can't believe we're talking about poop on the radio here. I'm pretty sure we're probably getting canned here. But, you know, it, it, it had to have been human. There was a big stick poking out of it like oh. somebody was proud of it and put a flag at the top. But there was no used... I, I, I warned everybody. There was no used leaves all around it. So whoever did it either, you know, walked down dirty or... <laughs> Or it was Bigfoot. You know, there's a good chance it was now, Bigfoot. Now that, see, now you're getting back onto the paranormal poop. That's good. Yeah, that's that's the only decision that we made is that, you know, Bigfoot, when he's on his way up there to go check out the view, he just doesn't care. He does his business the way he's going to do it. So, And, uh, you know, that's that. That's the story of the paranormal poop. We're going to be uh, submitting it to Fate Magazine. See if we can. <laughs> so, uh, but when you were out there, you, you saw, you, you took some beautiful photographs that you were kind enough to post on our message board. Oh, thank you. And, and was it what you were expecting from all the stories that you'd heard? 
Um, oh yeah, I've been out there since I was a kid. I, I've I've known. I haven't actually seen Dighton Rock before or Agawam Rock. Geez, we can't talk tonight. Um, but I've been, you know, to Profile Rock many times. I've always loved that place. It's it's a shame you you speak of the graffiti and it's like it's, it seems like it's worse every time you go there. There's just more. Mm-hmm. And and uh, did you get any kind of feelings while you were out there? Any? Oh, you always get feelings when you go out there, especially if you go to the top and you look at the view. It's just, I mean, you can't even. It, it's you get odd. The only the only feeling I got was don't fall, <laughs> especially off the far side, which which is a sheer cliff side. <laughs> Now, is that the cliff that everybody talks about where they say that you have this feeling of something telling you to jump, or is that a different cliff out there? No, it's a different cliff. Okay, well, because the feeling I got was don't jump, don't right, jump. Right, right. Uh, and also, um, one of the things that we talked about while we were up there is some of the interesting, you know, we found some rocks up there that we thought were kind of cool. I found one that, you know, I was like, oh, look, there's a little bit of quartz in this. And then my, my brother-in-law says, well, then turn around. And I look, and there's this whole field of quartz right there. So, I mean, and Matt Moniz knows uh, quartz is pretty much a, a I don't want to say an indicator, but it's a, it's a good conductor of paranormal activity. So, I mean, if, if you're going to go up there, bring a little hammer and chisel so you can take some home, because <laughs> if ever there's paranormal quartz, that's it. No, come on. You can take some of that there. No, don't chip it out of the rock. If you find it free-floating, yes. All right, all right. Can, there'll be nothing left of the rock after all the people go up there. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, we thank you for checking in and, and for, like I said, for sharing your evidence with us. Well, thank you very much. Just had to say hi to Capers and you guys. Hi, Luann. And anytime. We welcome it anytime. All right. Well, you guys have a great show. You too. Keep it up. And uh, thank you for keeping the message board going when, you know, she's the only one that posts during the show while it's live. So <laughs> try to get some talk going on there. We can we can answer questions off it. Well, that's a bad sign if I'm home posting on the message board on a Saturday night. Right, well, hey, we're, in, we're, we're in the studio on a Saturday night, so our night starts after the show. Oh, yeah. Hey, there you go. Well, right. have a good time. Have a good night. Good night. And so uh, now when you were in, down in Gettysburg, was there like some organized tour that you took? or? Yeah, there was actually uh, put on by, uh, there was a few authors there, by the way. There's Troy Keller and a couple of other our, of our friends that we know um, throughout, the, in, throughout the field. And for ghost hunters or people that like ghost hunting and join up, it's not your average tour we go on. You go on. You know, there's Mark Nesbitt. He's a big mm-hmm. author down there and everything. We actually, um, I got I got to meet him and talk to him for a little bit. Went and did his tour and unique stuff, and it was a very nice tour. And I do suggest anybody goes down to Gettysburg, try it out. You know, Mark's been there the longest. But then we did daytime tours where Troy Taylor jumped in my car, in our car, and we had nine other cars follow us, and we went through the battlefields. Um, the battlefields, of course, if anybody knows the history or doesn't, uh, it's it's really are inspiring. Even if you have no paranormal activity done, it's just just to think of the history that happened on this piece of property over the exactly. over the days. You know, um, it it it's pretty humbling too. You know, it puts your life in perspective on how these young men men and uh, men mostly can had died. Now we go into the typical spots. Um, they're written about Devil's Den. Um, the wheat, well, we didn't go to the wheat fields, but the wheat fields are out there, the Rose Farm. Um, and then there's some that aren't talked about. Um, there's one that's off the beaten path that's actually not really on the property. Uh, it's off the side of, a, of it. It's called Satch, Satch's Coverage Bridge. 
you know, there's paranormal activity. And you see a lot of ghost photos out there. It's a dusty old covered bridge. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of orb photos. Um, and and we had a good time during the daytime tour. And then, you know, we go to go at night. And um, we ended up on Saturday night going out to alleged haunted locations. Now we went to Devil's Den at night. Now this is when the park's open until 10. So we have to follow park regulations. It's nothing extraordinary. Um, and we're out there taking photographs and uh, things like that and having a good time and then finding out other paranormal areas that we, I had never known about because we have people from there, from the area that have grown up in there and investigated it. You know, in Devil's Den, there's a river that runs there. It's called Blood River, you know, because all the blood, you know, while well, the water during the war turned yeah, red. Yeah, said turned red. Um, on the opposite side in the woods out there, we went out there and there's a couple other places like that. And um, like I was talking about clear cutting, they found a foundation. And um, we went. We traveled through the woods, probably a good 150 yards, to this open, cleared field that you can't get from within the park. And the person that had known it, it actually works is a engineer, and she works for paranormal group that had found this, found the story. And we stayed out there, and you know, I found a skeleton bone of an animal. You know, you find a lot of uh, prairie, not prairie dogs, groundhogs. Um, out there, you know, kind of holes and nests and a lot of weird things, you know, small weird things, weird, I don't know, it, you always feel like you're being watched. I, I have to say that when you're down around that area. Um, and we went to, uh, where else did we go? Um, the third area. Oh, we went out to another ridge down off, um, there's a railroad tracks. I don't remember, but it's another small battle area. Sunken Road? Nope, the sunken roads out in uh, Antietam. Oh yeah, um, the, that the, it's a, a hill that comes out of the forest. Mm-hmm. And we went over there. It's a, it's a, where a cemetery is out there that's supposed to be haunted. Now talking about Antietam, Joanne and I did travel to Antietam on Sunday. We uh, we 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 separated our ways with Troy and the group. We went out to Antietam. Now the, the bloody lane they call it, or the yeah. sunken road. Is where the north's on one side, the higher point, and the south dug into this lane, and the north just annihilated the south, or the you know the federals against the, mm-hmm. the the south, annihilated them. And you see the famous pictures of all these bodies. Well, Joanne and I had gone there, and we laid there, and we just, just it's awe inspiring again, um, but no paranormal activity. Um, and Matt, what you were talking about, uh, there's towers up there uh, out in uh, Antietam, and we look down in the grass, and these these big, huge circles. But it's just how the grass is growing; like mm-hmm. it's, it's been infested by it. But it looks like crop circles. <laughs> we did mention that, um, and uh, and it was it was we had no paranormal activity whatsoever happen. I mean, you get the EBGs like you did in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. You know, you think you got things coming out of the corner of your eye, but we had one incident happen with equipment. Um, we're, we're there with um, Rosemary, uh, Ellen <laughs> Guiley, and uh, she had wanted to take a picture of this cannonball shot that's in this one of these rocks at Devil's Den. Now, I have a picture of this area, and it's pretty kept secret from locals, you know, because mm-hmm. you can see it, but you can't see it if you're not looking for it. And uh, she, she was standing next to it, pointing to it, and I took her digital camera, which I've never used before, you know, you know, figuring out what to take the picture of. And I took the first picture, right? I didn't review it, you know, and I said, oh, we'll, we'll take one more. So I ha- had the camera up, steadying the camera, and took the second picture. The first picture came out black. It flashed, yeah. you know, the, now, the flash, I don't know, I don't recall if a flash ever came off because it was during the day when we took this photograph. But the second picture came out blurry with a whole bunch of green in it. Like I took, took a picture of when I was scraping across the grass and kind of getting the sky. Mm-hmm. It was just this big blurry green. 
the third, and then the, and then we actually end up have to take a third picture. But with the second picture, I don't know. The first one could have been just a dud; it didn't take yeah. or something like that because the image is digital camera. Second one looked though like I was in motion going up across grass, but there was a couple of green spots and dirt and black rocks, and Rosemary was wearing black at the time. That we can't explain what happened. So that's just a weird, weird picture. Definitely interesting, and. and- I think, uh, I mean, I've never been down to that area myself, but I've read a lot on the Civil War, and looking at it from a paranormal perspective, you can be up in here, uh, up in New England, and investigate these things, and if you're good at it, if you if you have a, a sense of confidence about yourself, when you walk into some of these places, you can feel like, with a group or whoever you're with, you have some degree of numbers over whatever it is that you're investigating, but when you go to a place like that, it's all surrounding you. There's thousands right. and thousands of potential spirits, and you just feel like you're at its mercy. Yeah, actually, you, you feel like almost like when you hear the stories about it and you're there, it's like reliving it. Like you're actually taking part of the battles. You can feel the anger, the, the anguish, the pain, the hurt. Um, and Gettysburg, I, it's pretty far from home from here. It's an eight-hour drive for anybody who wants to drive out there, but it's worth the drive, and it's beautiful land. Um, but here in our own backwoods, we have, you know, Charlestown, you know, yes. Lexington. We have a lot of great battlefields here. Or even if you can do a little bit of research, because we don't get taught it in school, the battlefields of the Bridgewater Triangle of the of the King Philip's War. Yeah, King Philip's War. I, I learned about that last year when doing the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, and we actually find about the King Philip's War that actually happened from Plymouth to Rhode Island and all the way down onto Cape Cod. And I spoke with uh, Gerard and Kevin, two high school students at Aponquit High School, and they said they don't really gloss over King Philip's War there like they might in another school district where it's just a paragraph or two during the colonial chapters of a history book. They do get into it a little bit, but they don't even realize how much history is right in their own backyard. So, And then we, we're, we're coming up on the news in a few minutes here, but I just wanted to mention one more case that you investigated recently uh, uh, in this area. So, I mean, I know that they, it's kind of uh, an anonymous uh, thing here, but maybe you can share some of the details with us because it's very interesting. Well, it's on Cape Cod. It's a huge house. It is huge. It's a former captain's home. So if that gives you any hint, there's probably over 150 captain's homes, so good luck. Yeah, um, exactly. No, uh, it's confidentiality is our most up important, so we keep it quiet to the to the homeowners. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went up there as a team after Bridgewater Triangle, actually, and um, we ended up doing a sitting in the room, some of us, and and I'm just going to get into this briefly, where I thought I saw something on top of the ceiling, and the person beside me said, "Did you see that at the same time? Did you see the black cloud?" And that's what I saw. So. I saw it, but never said it, but I looked up, and the other person described what I saw, so she took a picture. And then um, and then prior to that, or during that whole incident, um, we heard, we're doing EVPs, caught something weird, played it back um, up till Thursday, and then I played it back today, and it actually erased the EVP. It was a Class A EVP of a woman's voice saying something, and I know that. I know mm-hmm. I was controlled environment, so I know there was nobody else saying it. Um but there was an incident where we're getting up ready to leave, and it felt like someone had kicked me in the throat or in the solar plexus, like I was going to throw up, but with no pain ever on my body. Just that instant gag reflex happened, mm-hmm. but nothing coming up. Um, really, sharp, not even sharp pains, like almost like, why is this happening to me? And I buckled to my knees. Um, and and this, the woman that was with me um, on the team, uh, Cheryl Sabin, 
she uh, experienced the same thing. Like she got this vomiting, nauseous feeling, and she's a sensitive on our team. Um, and she just she she's you know she's I I wouldn't have her on my team if I didn't believe her. Exactly. You know? yes. So her having her react like this it gave more of a validity from my experience. And one thing was when we took a photograph, I didn't look directly in the flash, but out of the corner of my eye, the woman sitting there, Cheryl, looked like she had shackles on her arms and three people with their hands on her shoulder. I don't know. I can't explain that. That's what I saw. It could. It was a long day, but I know I just don't hallucinate things like that exactly. when the camera flashes go off. And not only that, but for something to have physically gotten you in such a way. I mean, you're a strong guy. You're a Marine. You yeah. know, it takes a force to, to have that type of effect on you. Yeah, it, it's it's actually um, disconcerting. Like, it, it made me, again, this would be my second incident doing paranormal, mm -hmm. uh, investigating that. Made my knees shake, buckle, kind of lose my touch of reality type of what's going on, you know, because I have no control over this. But nothing else happened the rest of the night. So I, didn't, I couldn't attribute to being sick or being tired or anything else. It just happened in that room. That was the incident, and that was all that had happened. And that's one of the things that is uh, one of the challenges of doing this is you never know if that. I mean, there's groups that go out there for years and investigate and never have that type of physical right. contact. There's some people that go out, and every time they go out, they get their butt kicked. Right. I mean, it, you can never tell. So, I mean, I suppose it's good that if something's going to happen to somebody on your team, you prefer it happens. I mean, Cheryl to is me. Cheryl's a, a, a little bit of a slight woman. Yeah. So for her to have to, you know, go through something like that as well, if it was. Yeah, I prefer anything to happen. I wouldn't uh, just like a great boss or a great leader. I'd want it all happen to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying I'm great, but I'm saying I look out for my team, yeah, you my don't, team yeah, members. Exactly. I would not want anything to happen to my team members. You're trying not to put them in harm's way uh, while you're investigating. So th this is uh, Derek Bartlett and Joanne McCann of Capers. We can give you their web website address, www.capers.com. I know you've been having some trouble with that. It's all set. All set now? All, set. all right, beautiful, because that is an excellent website. It's so very interactive, so much information, uh, and, and just... It's it's great. I mean, and then also we'll touch upon real quick. We got about a minute before the news. This Friday night, uh, you're having a, an open meeting at Cape Cod Community College uh, from seven to nine p.m. Uh, it's uh, in the which building is it? Uh, room? North North One Sixteen. And it's a free event. Free you event. Know, donate, for do donations are welcome. Yep. It's the power of belief. Uh, join Capers investigator William Berry in an in, in, a, in an active discussion on his topic, the power of belief. Listen as he takes a look at whether or not your beliefs affect reality. Does believing in something make it so? Do your beliefs influence the powers around you? It'll be an interactive multimedia presentation featuring photos and stories. Make sure you check it out. We have a link on our site, SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can go right to the source, Capers.com, to find out more information. And uh, we hope to see you there. Coming up on the news here, we'll be back on the other side. We'll do the Weekend Weird, and then we will talk to the members of the New England Paranormal Association, some more ghost hunters right from our own backyard, and, of course, we want to hear from you. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll see you on the other side here on Spooky First, South Coast. With local news, talk, and sports, this is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM. WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Time, 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 time
Welcome back. Hour number two here of Spooky South Coast. We are having quite the strange evening from the time we left our homes to come in here to the studio and our little investigation of the Ellis Bull Cemetery to stories of crop circles in Matt Moniz's backyard and, of course, sharing the experiences of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. As we were saying before, they are having an open meeting this Friday, April 28th, at the Cape Cod Community College in Hyannis. Real easy to get to, right off Route 6. It's technically in Barnstable, but it's right off Route 6. Just go over the Sagamore Bridge. It's worth the drive. It's free of charge. I mean, it would be nice if you could just drop a couple dollars in the bucket to help them out because they, they do put on a phenomenal job. And uh, Bill Berry will give you a presentation on the power of belief, and he will talk about whether or not beliefs affect reality. Does believing in something make it so? And we think that. We think that if you believe in something, it does make it so because... Heck, we believe in what's going on, what we talk about here on Spooky South Coast, and we're pretty sure that it's so. So we'd like to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. But right now, we're going to do a little segment for you that we like to call The Week in Weird. Our first story comes from the country of Malta. As reported by Malta Media News, the Archbishop of Malta put together a curia, which is an, you know, an investigative panel within the church, that has confirmed that human blood is oozing from the eyes of a statue of the Virgin Mary located in a private residence. A spokesman for the curia said in a statement that the first report was examined by church authorities and that the red liquid was indeed human blood. The same phenomenon was reported a few weeks later, and this second incident is still being investigated, the spokesman said. The owner of the statue reported the weeping of the red liquid to the parish priest on Monday. The latter advised the owner to report to the curia. So there is a Virgin Mary that is crying human blood in Malta. Wherever Malta is, we'll try to get a hold of them and see if we can talk about it on Spooky Celtics. What do you have for us, Matt Costa? Uh, a European pyramid. Researchers on Wednesday unearthed, ge- unearthed geometrically cut stone slabs that they say could form part of a sloping surface of what they believe is an ancient pyramid lying beneath a huge hill. Archaeologists and other experts began digging in central Bosnia last week to explore the, the, team, the team leader's theory that a 2,120-foot hill covers a, a step pyramid, which would be the first ever found in Europe. Researchers believe the structure will prove to be 722 feet high, or one-third taller than Egypt's Great Pyramid of Giza. The huge stone blocks discovered Wednesday appeared to be cut in cubes and polished. Under layers of dirt, workers discovered a paved entrance plateau, entrances to tunnels, and large stone blocks. Satellite photographs and, and thermal imaging revealed two other smaller, <coughs> smaller pyramid-shaped hills in the Visoko Valley. Last, last week's ex- excavation began with a team of rescue workers from a nearby coal mine being sent into the, tun- into the tunnel believed to be part of an underground network collect- connecting the three pyramid-shaped hills. They were followed by archaeologists, geolog- geologists, and other experts who emerged from the tunnel later to declare it was certainly man-made. All right. And uh, why don't we find out a little bit more? We already talked about Malta, so let's keep uh, going around the world. We're going to stop in Malaysia. Matt Moniz is going to tell us about a possible capturing of a baby Bigfoot. Yes, this story comes to us from uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. 
Wildlife officials deny capturing a baby Bigfoot on Thursday amid fevered speculation over the existence of the mythical creature in the nation's southern jungles. The local newspaper reported that a young Bigfoot was caught by a group of men thought to be from the Wildlife and National Parks Department near the southern town of Kotingi uh, two weeks ago. The paper quoted local residents as saying they had spoken to men who described shooting the creature with a tranquilizer dart. The locals then peeked into the back of their truck to see a large, hairy creature. But the department's director general denied the report. Bigfoot fever erupted last December when some workers claimed to have spotted three of the beasts, two adults and a youngster, on the edge of Johor Forest Reserve. Well, we talk about this all the time, and it's, it's kind of a running joke here on Spooky South Coast. I have to ask, Matt Costa, what were you doing in Malaysia? It wasn't me. It wasn't you? Yes, he was filling that Ask Jeeves uh, ad. That's, it's, <laughs> one of the, there's a common theory going around that Matt Costa is indeed Bigfoot, uh, or some form of Sasquatch. I can see the resemblance somewhere. Hey. He's, he's been spotted on Onset Beach many times. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, from Chuck Shepard's News of the Weird site, great site. I highly recommend it. We get a lot of stories from him, uh, and we're just now beginning to give him credit. So thank you, Chuck. In March, uh, in Fredericton, Fredericton, New Brunswick, anti-abortion activist David Little, age 60, resisted his upcoming trial for tax evasion. He informed the judge that he would need an indefinite postponement because his wife and stepdaughter are possessed by Satan and will require an exorcism. He told the judge that some exorcisms work quickly, but that he knows of one that lasted up to 16 years. The judge said, bring in some evidence of the possession. Little has openly refused to pay taxes because some government money funds abortions. Also from the Orlando Sentinel, a 35-year-old woman arrested on a charge of grand theft auto said the devil gave her permission to take a car from the Clearwater Lake Recreation Area, according to police reports. A Lake County deputy sheriff on Thursday spotted Michelle North, age 35, driving a black Toyota Camry away from the park near Paisley, where the car's owner had just reported it missing. The deputy arrested North, who, according to arrest reports, explained, I am Satan's bride, and he lets me do whatever I please. I think it sounded just like that, too. North was in Lake County Jail on Friday on $2,000 bail, $2, bail. Calls to Satan to come and bust her out have gone unreturned as of now. Matt Costa, hit us up. Right. You've heard of an heart transplant. What about an art transplant? William Sheridan's drawing skills were stuck at a nursery level. His stick figures were the sort you'd expect from a child. But after a heart transplant operation, he experienced an astonishing revelation. Suddenly, he was blessed with an artistic talent he simply could not explain, producing beautiful drawings of wildlife and landscapes. He was even more amazed when he discovered what he now believes the, to be the ex explanation. The heart that was donated had come from a 24-year-old 20, Wall Street stockbroker, Keith Neville who died in a car crash and was reportedly a talented and gifted artist. Mr. Sheridan's phenomenon has a growing number of medical experts believing that it is possible during an organ transplant to inherit char character traits from the donor, one of which being Gary Swartz, a professor of medicine, neurology, psychiatry, and surgery at the University of Arizona, who says research by a team he leads has found when the organ is placed in, in the recipient. The information and energy stored in the organ has passed is passed on to the recipient in a process which he calls cellular memory. Although over 70 cases have been documented by Swartz, 
Further research will be conducted by the research team. All right, that is something that I, I have heard before is cellular memory. That, uh, you know, it, it isn't uncommon for people to have some of the negative you know, remembrances of the donor, too. Uh, if somebody dies in a car accident and they get a transplanted organ, they seem to have visions of the, of the uh, accident. But that's something we can get into for another show. Matt Moniz, why don't you tell us about our good friend Yuri Geller, who is actually going to try and bend spoons with his mind via the radio. So watch out. Well, this story about Yuri comes to us from Routers. Uh, Psychic Yuri Geller is uh, attempting to purchase the Memphis home of Elvis Presley. Uh, Elvis lived there before moving, before moving to Graceland and uh, opening up his own museum honoring the king of rock and roll. The house, which freshly purchased in 1956, is for sale on the uh, eBay auction site. And uh, the Israeli-born spoon-bending uh, paranormalist is among the bidders. Geller, who met Presley in Las Vegas in uh, the 1970s, owns a collection of Elvis memorabilia and said he wants to turn the 280-square-meter home into a museum with a twist. I, it will have all the bizarre things that Elvis Presley believed in, including his fascination with UFOs, said Geller. He had a bid for $300,000 for the property, but was outbid on Friday by $100 more. Geller said he will increase his bid substantially. The auction ends May 14th, and it was up to 410000 before it went on, went on the air. And Geller's last bid was about $60,000 short. Yeah, we checked eBay before we left the home, and it was, it was up to $410,000. And, and I don't know if Yuri had logged on in the last couple hours because uh, he had been outbid. He sure, I'm sure he got the outbid notice in there. And we also used uh, in a little bit of creative uh, booking attempts. We used his uh, eBay ID as a way to email him to see if he wants to join us on the show. So hopefully uh, we can get him. Uh, and he can tell us if he was successful in purchasing that property because you know, it would be very interesting to have a, a Elvis Presley Paranormal Museum. Speaking of the paranormal, we're going to take a quick break. Well, we always speak of the paranormal here on Spooky South Coast. We're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we will have for you uh, Steve and Ryan from the New England Paranormal Association, uh, some local ghost hunters from right in our own backyard. We'll talk to them about some of their recent cases. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. You know who's watching you. It's the Spooky Crew. And speaking of Spooky Crew, that is our new email address, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you email us at that address, you can get all three of us, Matt Moniz, Matt Costa, and myself, Tim Weisberg, all in one shot. So if you'd like to speak with all of us, that's the way to do it. You can also check out our brand new MySpace, thanks to my lovely wife, Jennifer. If you go to MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast, 
that will be our home on the MySpace site. Uh, you know, we we figured we had to get cool like everybody else and get a MySpace. I mean, when when everybody else has one and we don't, I mean, we're we're behind the times. Uh, but one thing we are up to date on is we have a message board on SpookySouthCoast.com where people can send us questions. And our brand new member Pyro, who just registered during the show, thank you. We thank you for listening. We thank you for joining the discussion. He has a question. He'd like to ask Capers uh, where the clearing was made at Gettysburg and if it's near Devil's Ridge. He's heading out there in September. Uh, he was there last year. He had a weird feeling most of the time he was there. And uh, he knows that they uh, have walking ghost tours, and he wants to know if it is worth it. Yeah, um, okay. The whole whole fields of Gettysburg are actually clear-cutting. So this one, this field area where I mentioned the 150 yards into the woods to the clear-cutting spot is outside of Devil's Den. Uh, once you leave Devil's Den, there's a road. Um, it's hard to get. You won't even know it's there because it's not accessible to regular tourist traffic. Um, but it's in that area, actually, so that's a good that's a good pickup on there. Feeling weird out in Devil's Den, and it's really good. Um, about the ghost tours, uh, we only—I've only done one out there, and that's Mark Nesbitt's tour. Um, and it was—it was exciting. Um, you know, I—I I go on any ghost tour I can try, and it was—it it was worth the money, um, definitely. And before we join in with the gentleman from uh, Napa, why don't we talk about your ghost tour? Oh, wow, this is jumping the gun. Yeah, uh, starting in May, uh, Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society is putting on a tour for Haunted Barnstable Village. It's a town in Bar- uh, It's down on Cape Cod. It's on Route 6A. Uh, we'll, we're going to be doing um, a walking tour. It's two, two hours long. Uh, you can go to the website, www.capers.com. That's C-A-I-P-R-S.com. And also, there's going to be a dinner tour as well, haunted dinner tour. You actually go and have dinner in one of these haunted locations. I'm working with the homeowner, uh, with the business owner now to put that in it together. Plus, there's other tours coming up, so just keep a, right. keep an eye out on that. Hope I didn't spoil anything there. We want to we want to make sure we get everything out there. So people can start marking their calendars because, you know, with all the stuff that uh, that happens, especially around this area, I mean, you're, you're calendar can fill up pretty quick between capers open meetings and different conferences like like derek travels around and goes to so all right well we are going to check in now with uh, some of our friends they've been calling us in in bits and pieces talking to us about some of their investigations but now we're going to give them their chance to share with us exactly what they've checked out uh in the south coast area i mean spooky south coast they know it better than anybody because they're out there uh, every weekend checking it out pretty much so uh on the line right now we have steve lucas and ryan grisella of the new England Paranormal Association, uh, also known as NEPA, and real quick so that people can know the cases we're going to talk about, check out their website, anyinvestigations.tripod.com, or their blog at nepainvestigations.blogspot.com. If you go to those, uh, if you go to spookysouthcoast.com, we have links to those sites as well, because they have uh, some good evidence up there already. Gentlemen, good evening. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? All right. Now, uh, this, we'll probably get confused here between Steve and Ryan, but, you know, you can just correct me if I'm wrong in, in anything. But Now, Ryan, you started this group. When did you start NEPA? Uh, about two years ago. What was your uh, inspiration for, for starting the group? Um, a lot of things. You know, read, I, I read a lot of books about the paranormal and other groups like Keepers and Taps and stuff like that got me into it. And, you know, watching X-Files and Solved Mysteries and stuff like that, I've always had an interest in the paranormal. So it's like... Why not get into the field? Did you have any experiences uh, yourself with the paranormal? Uh, not really. But you, so. you always had a strong feeling that it did exist. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and Steve, what about yourself? How did you get involved in this? Well, I've known Ryan for like the last 
six years, and um, he's probably one of my best friends in the world. So uh, equally, we watched these shows together and everything, and uh, we got involved in this together. Uh, the first day he went out was the first day I went out, and um, we basically fell in love with doing it. And um, we just get more and more exciting each time we go out. Even you know, if we don't find anything, if we find cool pictures or anything, it doesn't matter. Like we just really enjoy going out there, and you know, it's something that we plan on doing for a really long time. And uh, in the course of these three years, how much has the group grown in terms of not only membership but in terms of investigative skill? We've learned so much um, just from watching TV, just watching Taps. Um, Ryan and Jay went to a seminar, um, just research alone, and just actually physically going from past mistakes. And it just it, we put a lot of time into like what we do, so. Um, We've grown so much since we first started going out there. I mean, we used to go out there with a camera, and that was it. Now we go out there, we, we, we lay down EVPs, we have video cameras, we have multiple cameras going on. Um, so we've, we we do a lot more um, research before we go to places, so we, we know what we're getting ourselves into. We try to do as much research as possible. We come packed with directions so we don't get lost because that used to happen to us. <laughs> so we, we've done a lot to, to try to make ourselves better as a group. I mean, one thing Derek says, has said before to us is that most of this stuff is done on the research end. You know, the investigation is just the culmination of taking all your research and, and putting it together. Exactly. And yeah, that's, I'm sorry, that's go exactly ahead. What, yeah, that's exactly what, you know, we've, we've learned over the time is, like, the more research we do, the more books we read, you know, the better off we are when we go out there because we're actually prepared for, like, what we're getting ourselves into. And now, being in this area, like we've said, there's plenty of places to investigate that have uh, this alleged, you know, haunting happen haunted happenings. How do you decide where to go? I mean, you, I mean, a lot of the places that you have gone to are some of these legendary places. It's not necessarily you've done some private investigations of private homes, but you like to go out and to experience some of these places people talk about. I mean, how do you find them? How do you decide which ones to go to? Ryan, you want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, I mean. Just talk to anyone in this area. They'll be like, oh, go to Wolf Island Road, go to this cemetery, go to that cemetery. I mean, this area is filled with different history and haunting places. So, I mean, we just kind of look at that, then we look at the history of the place. If there's, uh, you know. You also have uh, on your website a way for people to, you know, send you an email describing, you know, what they've heard, the legend that they've heard, some of the, yep. the things that have happened so that you guys can get an idea to get out there and, and know what to look for. Oh yeah, definitely. yeah, absolutely. That's that's what we really look forward to is hoping that more people get in contact with us because we're willing to go anywhere and do anything if if someone tells us that you know they're having a problem there. I mean, that's what drives us. You know, we just want to we want to find this stuff just as bad as like the next person. You know, like we we're we're excited to, to just investigate everything. We'll investigate anything anybody wants us to. Like <laughs> we're all about youth. Yeah, love it. <laughs> It's, it's great to have that uh, ability to, to go around. Now, some of these places that you've uh, checked out uh, already, I mean, the Palmer River Burying Ground, the Village Cemetery, in Rehob both in Rehoboth, uh, the Broadway Street Cemetery in Taunton. Uh, when you guys go out to these cemeteries, I mean, what type of experiences have you had? Well, um, I'll just start off with, um, well, we'll start off with Wolf Island Road. Um, Wolf Island Road, I actually grew up in a cushion, so I've known about it for years, and um I've been to it countless, countless times, and um, we've, as NEPA, investigated it, I'd say, over a dozen times because it's really local to us. It's right down the street. And um, on our website, actually, we get some of our evidence. I mean, we, we've been down there many a times, and compared to other cemeteries like Palmer River and the Village Cemetery, we don't, we don't get, you know, that, that feeling 
we don't get as much, uh, you know, excitement and energy as we would, you know, there. So um, it's kind of hard to say that Wolf Island Road is haunted, but we have some pictures. We get some pretty cool pictures up on our website of some fogs and some mist that are completely unexplainable to us because um, they were on relatively clear nights. Actually, the most recent one was from, like, a week ago, and it hasn't been foggy in a really long time. So, um, Ryan, do you want to talk about the Rehoboth? Oh, Rehoboth, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, go to places like Palmer River. You know, we've had so many experiences out at that cemetery. Um, other places like, you know, Broadway Street. Um, we went to Leakville's Royal Wampanoag Cemetery, an Indian burial ground out there. No. We also go to other places like the Shad Factory ruins. We had a lot of really strange occurrences, strange feelings. You know, I actually thought that the whole ruin was going to collapse on me. I had a, like a little daydream kind of thing. And then I talked to the other guys who were there, and they're like, we had the exact same feeling. So there's some strange stuff up there. Yeah, actually, that um, the whole Shad Factory thing, before the show, before uh, we came on the show tonight, I was just doing some research. I came across uh, mathcrossroads.com. I, they said they were a guest on the show. Great website. Christopher Balzano, yes, it's a great yeah. website. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with him until I started reading some of the stuff, and he was. I read his article on the Shad Factory, and uh, surprisingly, like, he had the same exact, they had the same exact thing that we had, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, they had the same, they all had the same feeling at the same time, just really unpleasant feeling, and we had the same exact thing happen. I just, it's good to see that someone else, like, felt the same exact thing we did, you know, like, that, that just means a lot to me personally. No, Ryan, this is Derek. Um, you guys went to the Lakeville Wampanoag Cemetery there between the, the lakes, correct? Yes. Yeah, I grew up in Lakeville, so I know that area really well. Did you guys experience anything out there, or was it just great sightseeing? It was great sightseeing. Yeah, it is, especially with a marked barrier ground like that. Yeah. yeah. One, one question that I do have, getting back to the Ellis Bowl Cemetery. Uh, you, now, Steve, you're at college right now. Yep. You haven't been able to listen to the show. Uh, and, uh, Ryan, I'm not sure if you've been listening to the show. Oh, definitely. Uh, earlier tonight you were? Oh, yeah. All right, so, Steve, I'll pose this question to you since uh, since you weren't able to listen. Is there a certain part of that cemetery that has a a draw to it, almost like a, you know, where you know that there's something going on? Well, when, from the research I've, we've done of Wolf Island Road and um, on, on the cemetery itself, I noticed, like, um, are you talking about the cemetery exactly? Or just yeah, in the fire? cemetery, is there just a certain section of the cemetery that seems to have more of a feeling than the rest of it? Well, I'm pretty sure, like, where the, the most recent picture that we posted and where I've felt actually kind of weird was, like, the back right-hand corner of the cemetery. Um, like, that, that's usually where, like, that's where we usually migrate to when we first walk into the cemetery because that's mm-hmm. where you have the best angle at all, like, for pictures and everything. And I figure you get like a nice overview of the entire cemetery because it's really small for those who haven't seen it. It's really not a big cemetery at all. Well, we don't we don't want to take up your time rehashing it, but we had some. We went there earlier tonight on the way here, uh, yep. just, just on a whim, and we had some experiences in the back left hand corner. Oh, really? So uh, we have some some stuff that we gathered that we'll share with you uh, via email. Sweet, I, that, I definitely look forward to that. That's awesome. And uh, also, uh, some of the other places that you've been to. I mean, you've been to. Um, I think they have, like, no fear when it comes to, you know, where they go. And you, know, you guys, like, have somebody go with you and, like, look out for cops or anything? Because, I mean, they, <laughs> oh. they, they've been out around Town State Hospital, which is heavily patrolled, uh, and, and just some of these other places. I mean, you guys have a pretty fearless sense. I mean, what's going to happen if uh, you're out there and, and the police pull up? Well, actually, um, uh, I don't mind talking about this uh, one time in Rehoboth when we first, first started. 
we um we ran we ran into a little trouble with the police. They uh <laughs> they actually bumped into us at the uh, Shad Factory the first time we went down to the Shad Factory. I wasn't physically there because there were so many of us that we just split up. Half of us were at Palmer River and the other half were at Shad Factory. But Ryan was down at uh, Shad Factory. Ryan, you want to tell him what happened down there? Because I, I don't I just remember coming over the hill and seeing the lights. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. The cops came by, and they were like, um, yeah, we, we got a call that there were terrorists out at the watershed putting stuff inside the watershed, because that's where, I guess, Rob gets this water. And so the sergeant started making fun of us, going ghost and he was like, Thor's why there's ghosts in Rehoboth is because Charles Tuck Robinson was from Rehoboth. Well, the only reason there's ghosts in Rehoboth is because it's part of the triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, now, and, and when you... I mean, you have to go with the same type of disclaimer that every other group goes with is when you go to investigate these places, you have to get permission, and I'm sure that's something that you've learned as you've gone along. Yeah, definitely. And and you must find that most places are willing to grant that permission, provided that you're going to be respectful of the land. Yeah, and, you know, they're worried that you can go in there and never been a problem. Drugs or smash stuff, you know. Well, I mean... If you, that's a little bit paranormal itself. I mean, that's a shame is when, you know, you go out to these places where there's a lot of this activity and find out it's just kids partying and, you know, yeah. a lot of it is hoaxes. Uh, now, you've done a couple residences, um, one in a Cushnet and one in New Bedford. That was actually the home of one of your investigators? It was yeah, a childhood home, yeah. And uh, why don't we talk about some of the uh, things that happened uh, in the New Bedford home, especially because uh, we have the, the EVP that you posted on your website. Ryan, you want to take that one? That's all you, but... Yeah, okay. Um, they had a lot of uh, occurrences. Like, one time, they were all sitting out there, and a bed got thrown against the door. And when they went to go inside the room, I mean, there was nobody in the room. The bed just got thrown against the door. And there was another incident where uh, they were all just sitting downstairs, and the pencil shopper would start racing. And another time, they thought they saw a shadowy figure behind his mother. So um, it's been a couple of incidents there. Well, the the basement is um, the basement of the home was has been redone. I think it was done in like the seventies or the eighties. It, it has like an old style fashion to it, and they don't use it now. It's just basically the laundry room down there, and um, like so when we go down there, we have like couches and stuff to sit on, and there's like just your normal everyday basement. So um, I we laid down some EVPs and took some pictures and brought out the camera. And uh, Ryan, want to explain that because I can't really explain that EVP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were, we uh, just left it down there running. We went upstairs. We were going into his sister's room to take some pictures and stuff because that's where the bed was thrown. And uh, yeah, you see it on the video. On the video we got, there's nobody. There's nobody down there to, to balk. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you get what we got. Well, uh, we have the EVP here. We're going to try to play it for you. Uh, we don't know how well it's going to work out uh, volume-wise, but we're going to try it. It's uh, real quick, and why don't we play it, and then after we play it, you can tell people what you heard so that they have a chance to see you know, what they think. Okay. Are you trying to scare them? Are you trying to scare them? There. Are you trying to scare All right, one more time, man. One more time. Scare them? Are you trying to scare them? Okay, now what did you guys think that you found when, when you first heard that? Well, so, um, just to fill everybody in, that, that EVP was actually taken in the basement. Um, Jay was asking, pretty much provoking at the time when he had the EVP in his hand, asking um, whatever spirit was in the room questions. Um, you know, like, in that question, are you trying to scare them, pertains to the previous question is why did you throw the bed in my sister's room and he said are you were you trying to scare them now 
what I hear for a voice after that, me personally, because I've listened to it over a thousand times because it completely baffles me, is I hear, I hear yes. I hear that loud and clear in my mind. But as we all know, EVPs, you can take them any way you want. People hear 10 different things. But me, I, I've listened to it, you know, with really high definition, like iPod headphones, and I hear, I hear yes, clearly. And uh, one of the things uh, that people will bring up when they talk about EVPs is they're kind of easy to fake. I mean, if you really want to spend the time to do it. But you guys say that this is authentic. Absolutely. And it's it, to me, it sounds like, I mean, if somebody's going to fake one, they, they make it a little bit more grandiose. And it's it's very subtle, you know, and it's very easy to interpretation to whatever you think. But going back to when you talked about provoking um, these spirits to respond, is there kind of there's kind of a difference between engaging it in conversation to let it know that you want to discuss things with it to hear from it and and provoking it. I mean, when you guys are doing these EVPs, are you going around asking questions kind of like we do here, interviewing guests, or are you out there saying, you know, we demand that you make your presence known? Well, in in, in a situation like like in uh, Jay's basement, we for the most part. We just ask questions. Um, most recently, we were at the Oak Grove Cemetery visiting a Borden family plot. We just we just ask questions. Like we, we give we ask a question and give it ample time for it for it have a chance to respond, and um, just try to completely stop any noise pollution. If that tape recorder is going, there's no conversation. We, we cut down conversation until that thing goes until it stops. Because there's been so many times in the past where like we've thought that we've recorded something and then we'll play it over and over and over again. And we come to find out that that was just, you know, me asking Jay a question, you know, like just catching like a blimp of it so it almost sounds like an EVP. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, basically when it comes to provoking, um, like, that time what, what Jay had, they were just asking questions. We went on a return visit, and I was pretty much physically demanding the spirit to respond to me because I knew it was there, and we weren't getting anything, so I was trying to get it aggravated because I had read that sometimes, you know, um, using slander and provoking hard, you might get some results. But the, so we, the danger of that is, I mean, are you sure of what you're dealing with? Are you sure that if there is this spirit there that it's something of a, of a human nature or something of a, of a poltergeist nature? Are you positive that it's not an inhuman spirit? Yeah, see, that that's where it gets a little sketchy, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, from... Besides the bed-throwing incident, um, no one's been physically harmed in the house, and they've lived in the house for, I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure it's well over 10, 15 years. And I felt relatively safe with the way I provoked it, but um, I wouldn't go in blind to somewhere, into a cemetery or anywhere I've never been before, or basically anywhere else that I've been and provoke, physically provoked the way I did that day. Um, and it came to find out that I didn't, we didn't get any results that second, the second day we went back anyway, so... Which you know, was maybe. probably just it didn't want to respond to provoking. It didn't like exactly. the time you were taking. Exactly. We were just trying, you know, like, we, you know, like we're going over with, you know, we've only been doing this for two years. We're still working with it. You know, nobody's truly an expert in the field. You know, there's no set way on how to do things. So we were just trying, I personally was just trying out something different to see if I could get different results. Now, are there, are there precautions that you take uh, against the possibility of running into an human spirit? Ryan, you want to field that one? Um... I'd have to say not really. I mean, we we do the research. We try to find out what's going on at the place. I mean, you know, when people are getting physically attacked, obviously we're not going to go in there and, un, you know, without 
you know, we would definitely call a different group that would handle something like that instead of us doing it. I mean, if it's an inhuman spirit or something like that, we definitely want to tangle with it. We want to have someone who's had more experience with it. Now, guys, this is Derek again. Um, it, it's funny. I was exactly like you guys, you know, um, kind of unprepared to what to face, um, being so, you know, kind of new to it back in the day. Um, to let you know, though, I've had four or five hitchhikers that I call them follow me home um, due to the fact of just being in, in the in the residence and actually doing EVPs or whatever, however we're investigating. I do suggest just taking precaution and doing the thank yous in general. I know it's not it's not it's just my belief, but I I was the same way. I was kind of you know what could happen. You just don't know. You know, you'll hear the stories through the when once you guys are out there, and you'll start getting your own stories. But you'll hear stories of things that can happen to you while on investigations. That's one thing we made sure we did earlier tonight as we were leaving. You know, we turned around and, and said thank you. We appreciate the time, and sorry if we disturbed you. And we wish you, you know, everlasting peace. And of course, we we visited our friend earlier in the week uh, down down here, the Sea Witch. And she gave us some some nice crystals and stones to hold on to. I mean, you guys carry anything like that for luck or, or for positive energy? Well, we always like when, whenever we record EVPs and we go to cemeteries. We always, I always personally make sure I say thank you, and and I always make sure that when I start the EVP, that the first thing I say is that nobody here is here to harm you or hurt you in any way. We just we willingly have, you know we hope you willingly come forth to us and speak to us. We want to try to help you. That's the first thing I say on every EVP that I do, and I always make sure I thank them when I leave. Because I don't, I, I've, I've read my research, and the last thing I want is to take home a hitchhiker, like I just said. I, I would never want that to happen. So I always make sure I'm extremely polite, except for that, for that one instant where I was doing the heavy provoking. I just, I just wanted to try something new. Yeah, believe me, I've done the same thing way back in the day. I mean, and, and when you get to be like myself, I mean, I have a, a young a young son, and the you know I see him talking to the thin air, and which is common for these children. But I started to wonder, I was like, gee, I hope there isn't some sort of something drawn because of what we do. I mean, as we always say, any spirits that want to come on the show, we invite them to join us. But you know, we have to book it ahead of time, and you know, <laughs> put stuff up on the blog. So, well, we're going to take a quick one minute break. And on the other side, we invite you to call in 508-996-0500, Steve and Ryan, they're here. They're in this area, and they'd be willing to hear from you if you have something you'd like them to investigate. So why don't you give us a call, tell us your story. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. And so uh, we are talking to Stephen Ryan from New England Paranormal Association. We invite you to call in and to share with them any of your experiences uh, locally, any of your possible hauntings that you may want investigated. And uh, so 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500, or on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, let's bring back up the callers there because I shut off their button. Stephen Ryan, you're back with us, right? Yep. Hey, how you doing? All right. Now, uh, one of the other things that you did is you went out uh, onto Route 44 uh, in the Taunton area looking for the fabled red-headed hitchhiker this gentleman who apparently is out there looking for a ride and uh when he jumps into the car when you give him a ride he'll get a little while up the road and then you turn around and he's gone seems to be the general story now you didn't see the red-headed hitchhiker correct 
No, we right. didn't. But you did have something happen while you were out there, a couple anomalies. Why don't you uh, share that with us? Okay, well, what we did is, we, you know, they always say to bring a compass with you. So we brought a compass, and we're just sitting there, and, you know, we're driving up and down the road. All of a sudden, the compass would start freaking out and point to this one direction that wasn't north. And every time we drive past, it would point to this one specific location. So we just kept trying to do it, and then the next time it just stopped. So I think that was one of the anomalies we had. You had some other problems with uh, audio tape and a police scanner? <laughs> yeah, I had my police scanner with me, and we kept getting this interference on the scanner and on the recording. I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of like an electronic interference probably the best way I can describe it. You sure it wasn't the police sending out that signal to block you? <laughs> Who knows? We already talked to these kids once. No. <laughs> that's the uh, that's my uh, old man police guy voice. So <laughs> I don't really do voices here. But um, now what are some of the investigations that you have planned in the future? Do you have uh, some in mind that you're going to try to get out and check out? Um, absolutely. We um, Right now we are planning trips out to Exeter, uh, Rhode Island, and um, we're going to check out this place called, what is it, Cold State Park, Ryan? Yeah, Cold State Park in Bristol, Rhode Island. Well, they have a lot of softball games up there I know of that I cover in my other capacity, but what else goes on at Cold State Park? Well, there's, um, from, from the beginning research that, uh, that I've done, we found a place called Suicide Hill, which supposedly um, people get a lot of sightings, mostly during the day, of uh, two young girls like running from the beach up, to, up the hill, up Suicide Hill. And um, supposedly um, it's about two girls that died that had drowned at that beach in the 1970s. So it looked like kind of a cool place and it's relatively close to uh, where we are. So we figured we'd head out there and give it a shot. Now you guys are heading out to Exeter. Is that for the Mercy Brown? Is that the vampire? Yeah, the Mercy Brown yeah, vampire. That, that, that was it, yeah. Okay, what you want to do is actually, I've been out there a couple of times, you actually contact the cemetery, and they're gladly, in the town of, they will gladly allow you to have passage there after hours. Okay, cool. Wow, it's, really? a, it's very cool that they, uh, they're understanding of that situation because that's a big case that a lot of people have a lot of interest in. We're actually going to have a future edition of Spooky South Coast with Keith Johnson, uh, the demonologist from Near and from Taps, who's going to talk to us a bit about that case and other New England vampires. And uh, who knows, maybe we can get some New England vampires to join us in the studio as well. That'd be amazing. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and now if somebody contacts you and says, hey, we have something we'd like you to check out in our home or... You know, what's the process that you guys go through? Ryan? Um, well, we'll check out what's going on there. You know, listen to the story. Um, you know, like everyone tells you, to make sure they're not have suffering from schizophrenia or something. This isn't just natural occurrences. You know, an orb on the ceiling is actually a car driving by. Check out that kind of stuff. Do you, have a, do you have a psych profile, uh, you know, certain psych questions that you ask, or do you kind of just go with, like, a gut instinct? Uh, more than well, gut instinct. Actually, and actually, we do. Um, one of the members of NEPA, Lee, who you probably never hear of, but um, <laughs> he's a member of NEPA, and uh, he's actually graduating this year with a degree in psychology. So he'll be able to come up with uh, some great psychological profiles for us. I think um, we're going to put him to work when we go out this summer because he'll be home. So he'll be able to write up psych evaluations when we do um, home investigations. Now guys, over the years, I've had, um, I've actually con- uh, made a list of great questions to follow up and that fit our field as well. So if you guys want to contact me, 
you know, at the website or whatever, um, I can gladly mail those out to you. You know, so you're pretty on the down, you know, down low with the the same questions and getting the, to the direct answers and the way not to lead a witness and everything while asking the questions because it's very easy to do. So feel free to contact me. Okay, cool. And of course, anybody that would like to get into this this field, uh, be it in out in the field or more on the investigative or even the interview process, you know, you, you can contact Capers. You can contact NEPA at their websites, uh, Capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com, or at neinvestigations.tripod.com. And of course, both are linked up at SpookySouthCoast.com. Now, if somebody calls you up and said, "Hey, guys, I want to join your group," uh, you know, what kind of we, we've talked with Capers in the past about their requirements for joining, but what kind of requirements? Do you guys have? Ryan, take that one. You there, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> He's thinking about it. He's like, well, gee, you know, before and at this point, we didn't have any qualifications, so. organization, so that's a, that's a Ryan question right there. <laughs> I, I, I they just gotta have an open mind, ready to get out there, and you know, obviously be in the area. You know, the guy in Ohio, you know, obviously can't join up. But um, he's speaking of our of our friend Michael, who listens to us <laughs> religiously out in Ohio, posts on our message board, and the poor guy is stuck from Saturday afternoon to Sunday morning, wondering what happened on Spooky yeah, Sunday. <laughs> I mean, do you do is you know uh, obviously you want somebody with a vehicle, somebody that can get around, <laughs> you know, and um, do you require them to bring their own equipment? Do you have equipment that they can use? Um, I mean, if they had a digital camera, it'd be great if they bring it along. And uh, what type of training do you put them through before you can can get out and there in the field? It actually hasn't come up yet. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, well, it's something to uh, look into. Just you got to think about what it was that you learned over the course of your initial investigations, and that'll help you devise some sort of plan. Now, do you prefer people that come into this? Uh, do you want people that are part of other groups that have been involved with other groups, or do you want people that bring a fresh perspective of, you know, never been in the field, and you guys can train them your way? That's, that's what I would prefer. The, the latter, right there, because you know we we're you know we do independent research, and we we know none of us have been in groups before, and I I personally much approve of people who just have the drive to go out there and learn more and want to learn more every time they they do they do research, and are willing to do the work that it takes to know that it just doesn't take to drive to a cemetery, walk around for 10 minutes, and then hop in a car and drive home. It's a lot more than that. It takes a lot more. And um, that's the type of people I want in, 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 uh, inside of NEPR, actually. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, guys, uh, uh, over the years, believe it or not, as you start, you'll never finish the same way. Because I've done thinking one way and then had people join the team and they've totally taken me on a different avenue a better avenue it's always increased positively so always again like you said you like you want your investigators have an open mind you know it, you guys have an open mind to listen to new people you know um learn as you go and that that is the best advice to make a good solid team and a respectable team because that's what we need out here instead of you know have these have these crackpots just taking photos and saying look at this and giving us a bad name the people that are taking this professionally yeah, absolutely. And one thing we haven't touched upon, uh, but we should mention, uh, is that these groups, when they do these investigations, they do them at no charge, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, because if you start charging, then people can accuse you of being a charlatan, a, a scam artist. Oh, absolutely. So by, and plus, you know, the evidence and the experience that you collect is probably more valuable than the gas money or the cheeseburgers you might get while you're there. 
Exactly. That's that's the whole point. Like the last thing we ever want to do is is charge any money for anything because it's not what we're doing it for. Like we're not trying to make money. We're not, you know, we're not trying to get famous. We're not trying to get on TV or anything. We're just doing this because this is what we like to do. We're very interested in, in what we do. We're very proud of what we do. I'm more than willing to share that with anybody. And if anybody has a problem, we will do our absolute best to try to help them out. All right, guys, uh, this is Matt Moniz. i got a question for you. Okay. Uh, have you guys thought about developing SOPs and protocols, written material, something so that when new group members come in, they have something to read and uh, familiarize like themselves Like a handbook with? almost. Basically, yeah. So you repeat the same steps and procedures with every investigation, like what what is normally done in science. You outline it, you develop it, you train the people for it, and you practice it and then implement it. Ryan? All right, we haven't done that yet, but it's definitely a great idea. I mean, the people who are in right now, basically, we all started at the exact same time, but that is definitely a great idea to start doing yeah, we. Uh, it took us over four years to come up with a standard operating procedures. Protocol was a different thing. That was right off the bat, you know, no camera lens, you know, things, mm-hmm. standard yeah. equipment techniques. But this, uh, so, um, the uh, protocols and SOP have evolved dramatically. I mean, there's one, there's one college university, Penn State University, have a team out there. They have a secret lock and code on their SOPs and standards that's over 200 pages long on their investigations. So it does. I mean, it does take years yeah. uh, to, to create this, but it, it is needed in this field. Best right. thing about uh, protocols and SOPs is they can become living documents, so that you can modify them as you grow and learn more. You adapt it, revise it, mm-hmm. keep uh, the recent copies of revisions, keep the old copies <laughs> because yeah. they make great references. Well, all right. Well, guys, we thank you for joining us tonight, and of course, we invite you to continue to call us in with your evidence and your investigations uh, as you find them. So we'd like to thank Steve Lucas and Ryan Grisella of New England Paranormal Association and Derek Bartlett and Joanne McCann of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. Remember, if you go to our site, SpookySouthCoast.com, you can find links to their sites, information about the upcoming open meeting for Capers, how to get to the blog for NEPA and check out some of their evidence. So for Matt Costa, for Science Advisor Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We say stay spooktacular, everybody. And next week's special guest, I waited until the very last second to announce it, Dude Run, it's Brian Harnois from Taps and Ghost Hunters. So it should be a fun evening next week with Brian. So be sure to join us. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. And what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now. It seems, or at least until yesterday begins again, tomorrow, tomorrow.